0: Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. We are glad you are tuning in. As a church, we are currently in the season of Lent. This is a 40-day period of fasting, prayer, and reflection as we prepare to celebrate resurrection. During this time, we are going through the Gospel of Mark. What you are about to hear is a sermon about the story of Jesus, given live at one of our gatherings in Phoenix. We hope it reminds you that God loves you, that your life is meaningful, and that you are called to love others. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, please reach out to us at info at desertcitychurch.com. If you want to open up your uh, Bible to Mark chapter 5, we're going to be in Mark 5, verses uh, 21 through 43 today. And uh, we're just going to go through a story that I think is helpful and uh, and hopefully encouraging to you. But this sermon is called The Two Daughters. And uh, we'll start in verse 21. It says, uh, Mark 5, verse 21, When Jesus... Uh, had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake, while he was by the lake. So this is a story of Jesus crossing over a lake. And if you remember uh, the sermon last week, he was on the other side of the lake in a region called the Decapolis, where he met this man that was possessed by these evil spirits. There was this crazy story where Jesus has this encounter with the man, the evil spirits leave him, they go into uh, the herd of pigs that run off a cliff. And Mark is kind of communicating to us that Jesus has authority over um, evil spirits in that passage. Well, this is a new story. Jesus has crossed over the lake. Remember, the people asked him to leave, uh, to leave the region and to go away. So Jesus does. And now he's back on the other side of the lake, um, back in kind of the Jewish region um, of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And so the story continues in verse 22. It says, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus... Uh, He fell, um, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him. My daughter is dying, he said. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So you think about this plea. This is a man, his name is Jairus, uh, if you want to mispronounce that uh, correctly, Jairus. Um, But he's one of the synagogue leaders in this town. And uh, if you remember, if you've been reading and following along with Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, um, the, Jew- the Jewish religious leaders are not happy with Jesus. They're skeptical of him. Um, they, uh, they don't want to be really affiliated with, with what, uh, who he is, what he's doing. And uh, so for Jairus to come to Jesus uh, with this plea and invite Jesus to come to his house um, means that he's probably desperate. He's probably tried everything. And he tells us that his daughter is dying. She has some sort of sickness and they can't figure out uh, what it is. And I have two daughters. Um, so these, these words are very haunting to me. My, I have a daughter, Sophia, she's 12, and Lila, she's three. And, and I can't imagine ever uttering these words. Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, help me, my little daughter is dying. Um, he's completely desperate in this moment. And so the story continues. It says, Jesus went, went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a man was there, or a woman was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had uh, suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So Jesus is following Jairus. This big crowd follows as well. And as he's going to this house uh, to meet with this girl that's dying, this lady shows up and uh and, and we, we, we told, were told a little bit about her condition. Um, she'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Um, she'd suffered uh, a great deal. She'd searched out, tried to find help in many different ways. And uh, and she's not getting better, she's getting worse. So she has this encounter where Jesus is walking in the road, this big crowd's following, and she breaks in. Now a little bit of context about this woman. Um, what she had uh, been dealing with is she'd been bleeding for 12 years. Um, Basically, in, in this culture, with some of the, the, the uh, laws on what makes you clean and unclean, uh, she was an untouchable. Um, from the Jewish kind of Old Testament, some of their law, in Leviticus 15, it tells us um, that uh, if you had this condition uh, or, or if you were bleeding, um, especially for a woman, uh, you would be unclean um, and anything that you touched was unclean. And anyone who touched the thing that you touched was unclean as well. And so uh, she's an outcast from society. She couldn't have a relationship with people. Uh, she couldn't keep a job probably. Um, and when the bleeding started for her, that was probably meant like it was the end of her life as she knew it. Um, and so she's suffering a great deal. Now, when we look at some of these Old Testament laws um, about like what makes you clean or unclean, um, Moses had this understanding in the Old Testament, they had this understanding that um, some bodily discharges um, when, when you had that, it made you a couple things. One, vulnerable to infection. And two, possibly dangerous uh, w- within a community of people. And so they had like, these, these laws that were given by Moses, by, uh, by, by God, divinely inspiring Moses to write these laws um, about being clean or unclean. Well, we know now with modern you know, science and technology, back in like the 1860s, there was this man named Louis Pasteur who's kind of the father of this thing called microbiology, where they started to realize, you know, there are these germs uh, that that cause disease, cause viruses, and, and those spread. Now Moses is writing 3,000 years before Louise Pasteur has this discovery. And so for them, they had this understanding that uh, you, you could be, uh, vulnerable to infection you can infect other people and like what's happening here is is kind of like a biblical case for social distancing right that's kind of like that keyword in our social culture right now social distancing with this coronavirus thing um, but but really these laws were set in place and for these women uh, they, they had to say seven days um, of, of going through this ritual of becoming clean again um, before they could be kind of back into the community and so um, there was this idea that we're protecting each other and uh, we're protecting ourselves by making sure that we're clean. So yeah, like this whole idea of social distancing has been going on. Now, for this woman, not only does she have this disorder that happens like once a month, uh, but, but this is something that is every week for her. It's every day for her. She's constantly in this state, uh, which means she's always unclean. Um, and, and so the community would have known that about her. She's this person that is just this untouchable in the culture. Um, And I don't know if you've been kind of following the news, but uh, uh, last week, uh, there was a a basketball player, an NBA player on the Utah Jazz, called his name's Rudy Gobert, and he was diagnosed uh, positive with his coronavirus. Now, if you saw anything on the news, Rudy Gobert wasn't taking it seriously, and during this uh, uh, press conference, he was going around touching all of uh, the microphones, thinking he was funny. Well, lo and behold, his teammate, Donovan Mitchell gets sick, and then they find out there's this child that gets sick who he had given an autograph to. And so everyone's freaking out about Rudy Rudy Gobert. They're saying he's like Agent Zero, his teammates are ticked at him, everyone's kind of blaming him. And you see what happens to him socially. Whether it's fair or not, everyone's mad at Rudy Gobert. Everyone thinks this is the guy that's infected everyone else. To the point that Rudy Gobert donated $500,000 to the Utah Jazz to help uh, help the people that have you know having work put on hold so like this has affected him socially it's totally affected him socially um, and you've imagined like this woman who is considered unclean in her culture just the, the the social outcast that she would have become where everyone thinks we can't be around her we can't touch her um, they also had all sorts of ways of trying to like remedy you know them. Uh, becoming clean again. So in the Talmud, um, this, this Jewish uh, wisdom in, in history talks about things that you could do to kind of remedy um, something like you know the bleeding. And so some were potions, some were these other superstitious things that we see as folly. But these are some of the things that this woman probably did to become clean. One remedy was consisted of drinking a goblet of wine containing a powder compounded of rubber, uh, aluminum, and garden uh, crocuses. Uh, Another treatment consisted of a dose of Persian onions, cooked in wine, administered uh, with a summons. Arise out of your flow of blood. Uh, Other physicians prescribed sudden shock or carrying of ash on an ostrich egg in a certain cloth. There's all sorts of wild things. I think the craziest thing I saw as a remedy for this thing was uh, it it said that uh, it recommended that the afflicted woman carry a barley of corn that had been taken from the droppings of a white she-donkey. And this is in the Talmud. So they're like trying to solve this lady's condition. And we look back and we're like, this is just crazy. But what what the text tells us is that this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years has tried everything. She's tried everything to get healthy. And she's used up all of her resources, paying doctors, trying to do all these different things. And she comes to Jesus desperate. Verse 27 in the story says, when she heard about Jesus she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and after she felt in her body that, uh, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she has freed from suffering. She was freed from suffering in that moment. So she has heard about this Jesus from other people. She believes that this Jesus can, can heal her if she could just touch his clothes. She reaches out in the point of desperation and touches his clothes. That touch was a big deal because she's unclean. She's not supposed to touch anybody. And by f- her reaching out and touching Jesus, what would that make Jesus? And yet at that moment, we find that she is healed, that her body is free from suffering. And it says in verse 30, at once Jesus realized That power had gone out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you. uh, You see the people against you, the disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? They're looking at him and saying, there's people everywhere. Tons of people are crowding around you. And you think one person has touched you. But then here's a key verse. It says, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Jesus deeply cares. He knows something has happened. He understands that this power has left him, and he's trying to find the woman. Verse 33 says, the woman, uh, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. In trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. She said, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is significant that he says to her daughter. When you imagine her, uh, her, her kind of uh, uh, where she stood with her community, that she was this outcast, that she was unclean, that no, she had no family. There's no one else that's with her. And Jesus calls her daughter in the midst of her being unclean. He's not offended that she touched him. He calls her daughter. Uh, I, I've read that this is the only place where Jesus uses this term for any individual, for any woman in the New Testament, is for her. He says that she is his daughter. And what we find is that he's looking at her and he says, you didn't touch me and make me unclean, but you touched me and I have made you clean. This is the power of this encounter with Jesus. It Instantly, she's, she's clean and she's freed from her suffering. Um, but while that is happening, in verse 35, it says, While Jesus was speaking, and he has this encounter with this nameless woman, some people came from the house of Jairus. Remember, this is where the story started. Jairus' daughter is sick. She's dying. So people came from the house, and they said to Jairus, Your daughter has died. She's dead. Why bother this teacher anymore? And Jesus hears this. And in verse 36, it says, Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid of this news, what has just happened. Just believe. And he did not let anyone follow except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Remember, Peter's there, and we've talked about in Mark, uh, John Mark was probably writing Peter's account of the story of Jesus. So Peter is at this story, and Peter, James, and John follow Jesus and Jairus back to this home. It says in verse 38, Uh, When they had come, uh, uh, came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? So this is the funeral process had already started for this young girl. And Jesus says, this child is not dead, but asleep. And then in verse 40, uh, they all laughed at Jesus. I think that's great. They laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. But then it says, uh, going on in verse 40, After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went into where the girl, the child, was. And he reached out and he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Another touch, this time Jesus reaching out, touches this child, and it says immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around, and she was 12 years old old and at this they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and he told them to give her something to eat I love that Jesus is like get this girl food um, she's gonna be okay and uh, another great story of healing but it's interesting that in this story you have uh, you have two daughters right you have one daughter who's 12 years old she's the same age as my daughter Sophia. You have another woman who's a daughter that Jesus calls her daughter, that she's been bleeding for 12 years, which means the moment her bleeding started, she was considered dead to her community. It was the same year that this little child was born. Um, One one entered into the world uh, physically, the other entered into a certain living death. They had both been alive or dead uh, for 12 years. One was rich, one was poor, one had a family family. Uh, and one was alone. One had a prominent name in the community. One has no name. We never learn the name of the woman with the bleeding. Uh, One had a father who loved her and would do anything for her, putting his own reputation on the line to come to Jesus to save her. And one doesn't have a father when the story starts, but Jesus calls her daughter. She's given a father who loved her And would do anything for her by putting his reputation on the line, allowing this woman to touch him. This is an amazing story of these two daughters. And it doesn't matter kind of what their circumstances are, what their story is, uh, what their standing is in the community. Jesus meets them both. He loves them both. He heals them both. What we find about Jesus in this story is that Jesus in Christ, we are freed from suffering. He meets this woman, doesn't just, I mean, I can't imagine what she was suffering physically, just to have that going on for 12 years, but also relationally in the community. And he meets her and frees her from her suffering. And that phrase is used twice to describe her story. We also find in Christ, not only does he, does he free us from our suffering, but in Christ, we find family. In Christ, we find, uh, we, we find this loving family where Jesus is our father. And he looks at this woman and he says, you are my daughter. And even though you feel isolated and alone, you are mine. You are my daughter and I love you. And in Christ, we find healing from these diseases. What Mark is proclaiming, just like last week, where he's proclaiming that Jesus has authority over these evil spirits. The story before that, Jesus has authority over the storm. He calms the storm. And in this story, Jesus has authority over incurable diseases. Mark claims that this man has power over death. Jesus has raised this girl uh, from the dead. Now, if you've been reading Mark and if you've been paying attention, you're you're, you're finding that that Mark is pointing out all this stuff about who Jesus is, that he has authority over this world so we can place our hope in him. The one last thing that I noticed about this story as we're reading through it is Jesus, he gets sworn by these crowds. He hears this news of this devastating news that this man's daughter is sick, As he's going there, this woman comes out of nowhere, touches him, finds out that she's in this desperate situation. As Jesus is moving through this whole story, nothing seems to face him. As Jesus is interacting with these impossible situations, what we find is that Jesus is the least anxious presence in the whole story. Jesus is steady. He understands God's sovereignty. He understands God's, his, his authority in this world. And I think that means something for us as the body of Christ in this world. What does it mean for us in the midst of things that uh, seem chaotic and uncertain? This, this virus that we don't know a ton of information about that can be something that's scary for us. Uh, it reminds us of as the body of Christ, as the hands and feet of Jesus, we become this non-anxious presence in this community where we say, I don't know what's gonna happen, but we're not going to let news us. We're going to walk through this with our culture, with a sense of peace, because the Prince of Peace is with us. The God who could heal our incurable diseases is with us. And that allows us to, uh, I think, journey through these next few weeks in our culture with this sense of peace, being the least anxious presence in, in a culture that's freaking out. And so let me pray for us And uh, we're going to close with a song today. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for these stories, these reminders, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are the great physician, that really difficult news doesn't surprise you. And in these stories of these two women, one older, one younger, we see your compassion for them. When the world would look at them and see them as unclean, Untouchable. You allow one to touch you, you reach out and you touch the other one. Lord, I I pray that we would be your church, a church, the body of Christ here, that would have the same mindset. Lord, that we would help restore people who feel isolated, who feel unclean. Lord, that we would uh, move into situations where people are sick, knowing that you have the power to heal. Lord, that we'd be a non anxious presence. Uh, in a culture of fear. We love you and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.